Welcome to one more Avenue Code webinar, Fast Forward Post-COVID Digital Transformation. Today, featuring Zio Solomon, Avenue Code Founder and Chief Strategy Officer. Zio, the mic is yours. Thank you, Manuel. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us in this webinar. Um, it's going to be about an hour, and I think uh, we're going to learn a little differently this time. Uh, it's divided into six sections and i'm going to stop after every section and see if any of you have any questions uh the last time we did this we had questions at the end and it was kind of uh, we missed some of the areas that we've talked about and i wanted to give a chance to people to ask questions and manuela please help me when with questions because I, I can't see the chat box at this point the the seminar will discuss first we're going to go into introduction to cov which is a shared life experience that this epidemic had caused the world to have. Um, and then we will go in the section where how technology kind of bailed us out of uh, a potential crisis. We're talking about the winners and losers. We're talking about um, benefits and gain of what should happened. Uh, also uh, outline some hidden gems and what is the way forward after the, um, this is all over and the epidemic is dissipated. Now, um, this is going to study the economical benefits of what happened. And as a result, I don't want to go in there without literally stopping and acknowledging how terrible this virus and the epidemic has been to the world. Um, I'm sure everybody in this webinar have known someone that's been affected or they personally have been affected. And our thoughts and prayers go with everyone that has been affected with this terrible disease. With that, I have to say that we're not talking about the benefit of the actual virus, of course, we're just talking about what's the lockdown and the way that the world has reacted to what happened, how uh, the economical impact has been highlighted. And this is what this webinar is about. I'm gonna start with a letter that was sent uh, from um, uh, a mother in Paris to her child who's outside of Paris and basically telling her um, that she should never come to the big city because they're in a lockdown and um, the government has confined them to their uh, place of um, residence and um, she's actually kind of depressed that she can't go out and see, um, take in an art and entertainment. Now, um, this sounds very familiar to all of us right now that are in confinement, um, but that happened literally back in the middle of the 18th century, that she was talking about the Black Plague that hit Europe around that time. Um, so. I wanted to start with this just to highlight the fact that we are not in this for the first time. The world has gone through many iterations of similar shared um, epidemic experience, and we've survived it in different ways. Let's study what happened with us. So um, these are some data of what took place with the epidemic and the lockdown. Imagine a world where 80% of the workforce is forced to stay at home. Employment and that number every time I give this webinar give, keeps increasing. At this point, in the United, this data is specific to the United States, and I, I apologize because I know a lot of people are um, dialing from outside of the country. And we are hitting about 33% unemployment rate. As of this week, there's 40 million U.S. citizens are, are unemployed, are filed for our unemployment. So it's probably the number is higher. That is out of 165 million workforce. So we're hitting about 33% of unemployment rate. Just to benchmark that, usually when we hit 25% unemployment rates, it's a call for a revolution. So that, that number has already been exceeded. 
There is major dis disruption to global supply chain as a result of the lockdown. Medical practitioners are ordered to shut down, many of them. Um, physical distancing from everyone other than household. There was a food supply pa uh, panic. You've seen what happened to, um, to all the, uh, the grocery stores and the, sh the empty shelves and the lines outside the door. The highest ever spike in gun sales in the United States. So it's very much a call for a chaotic outcome, if you think about it. But what happened? We've gone through all of this and what actually happened? Nothing bad happened. We're fine. You look outside your window, you look outside your door, and everyone is operating in some sort of a um, constant normal, some normalcy in what's happening. And basically the reason, if this had happened any time over the last few thousand years, the impact would have been devastating. But this is the first time that because of the technology systems in place, the world were able to operate to some level of normalcy while this is taking place. Technology system literally safeguarded the supply chain. Remote communication was leveraged in education that didn't stop medical services that continue to operate, customer services, logistics, entertainment. We've taken many of the very essential business to online, such as commerce, it continued to operate. Insurance and fintech banking continue to operate online with the same level of efficiency, if not even more. Thanks to technology in place that we've been building for the last 80 years or so, that literally had played a vital role in how we were able to get through this um, as safe as we can possibly can. So with every epidemic, there's actually, unfortunately, for every loser, there is a winner. This is just how it works. And when I talk about epidemics here, I am not limiting my conversation to viruses and illnesses and diseases. There is a book that was written by Albert Camus, who was a, a French writer back in, uh, in the middle of the 20th century called The Plague. And basically, it was an imaginary town in northern Algeria that uh, hit, was isolated because it hit by the plague and how people reacted to it. And the reason that he wrote this book in the middle of the 20th century, after many, many years of iterative, um, uh, different iterations of the plague, is because he wanted to um, kind of imagine what the human reaction to whatever major uh, challenge that happens to, to the masses. So whether that was an ac a major accident, like 9-11, a war, natural disaster, or literally a disaster that was uh, that from one person to another in the micro level. And um, I wanted to take this chance because this book literally had Within the last hundred years or so, we've had many iterations of an epidemic of some sort that had an economical impact globally. In 1918 was the Spanish flu. Then we hit with the Great Depression. has nothing to do with any illness whatsoever. And then we, we, I, I skipped over the two World War II. And then we have the 9-11 the that hit in 2001 with its economic impact globally. Then we had the financial collapse in 2008. Then we're probably going to have, after this one, we're probably going to have a global warming coming up. It's going to have some sort of an economic impact. And if you, we can isolate each one of these events and many others on a micro level, but those are somehow were global and will be global. Um, and we'll find out that in each one of them, there was some sort of a benefit that came out of it, that we came stronger. And throughout this, I will highlight those benefits for what's happening today with, with, with the COVID crisis. So there are winners and losers. 
um, for examples, I will highlight the obvious ones too. There is the fuel industry, of course, because of the lack of any transportation need that uh, dissipated. And as a result, that, that went down. Tourism globally had suffered a great deal. Fitness and gymnasium or anything that people can conglomerate together has suffered hospitality that's limited, um, uh, including restaurants, uh, hotels, bars, transportation in general, airline in particular, uh, all the art and entertainment that require people to gather together and sporting events. Local governments, that's one that we didn't really expect that's going to have an impact, but it did. Local governments get their fundings from, uh, from local taxes, from tourism, from airports, from transportation, all of that screech into a halt and they are, they are uh, struggling with it. And the shared economy in general. Obviously, people didn't want to share anything because of the isolation. So the shared economy had literally um, have a major impact. Uh, that was, would, would be um, Uber or Airbnb, for example, etc. And the winners, obviously, the telecommunication. That's what we're doing right now with this webinar. Grocery stores, you've seen a spike in sales. They've, they've, they literally ran out of inventories for years to come. The retail industry uh, continued strong using the e-commerce platforms. Fintech banking continue to be very, very strong. We will see that there's some economical impact in the future of banking, but for now, they're operating just as usual. All digital media, people are stuck at home and they're consuming a lot more media than uh, their, other, their previous average use. Sporting goods to replace gymnasiums. So there's a loser here, there's a winner here. So the gymnasiums will close, sporting goods open. And you'll see that um, parallelism in, a lot, of, in a, lot of, a lot of the points. Logistics and warehouse management and inventory management and basically managing the supply chain has flourished because you needed to continue doing this within the confinement of everyone's uh, space. Now, if you look at the list of losers, and there are many to give examples, but those are um, the kind of the obvious ones. But if you look at the list of losers versus the winner here, they actually, each category have something in common. The losers are tech neutral. So they're not heavily dependent on technology. In fact, they're more dependent on physical presence and interactions. The winners are tech-driven. So those are utilizes, what I, mean, what I mean by tech-driven here is they utilize technology in the way that they operate. And as a result, when this hit us out of nowhere, they became naturally the winners. One thing is to keep in mind, it's really about uh, perseverance when it comes to locking down in place. So bigger isn't always better, but with, uh, with COVID-19, it actually was an automatic advantage. Whomever has a lot of weight and can maintain some, sort, some level of operation for the longest possible time until things come back to normal, they, were, they had an advantage in staying in the marketplace. So let's talk a little bit more about the benefits and gain of what just has happened. This is a picture of a very um, weekly meetings that, uh, that was taken day one of the lockdown. Um, these meetings originally has been probably attended by 50% of the invitee lists. And during this particular day, it was 100%. And that is, I'm going to highlight a lot about the hidden gems, but this is one of the things that actually got people to connect more online than they actually did in a physical space, which is kind of refreshing to find out. And we just found out about it the, the hard way. So for some, this is, was a gold rush overall. So um, if you look at the environmental impact on, on, on the world by actually being able to see that we can be fossil fuel independent, that we 
it's, it's almost like a, a global shared examples that I don't think that we would ever have been able to, um, to put in place without having to enforce a global lockdown. And what other way that you would have been able to get that chance to enforce a global lockdown and see what happens? rather other than what just happened so this is one of those things that just we've put the world through a test can you survive being independent of the fossil fuel and the world passed so that is really a, a kind of an enlightening finding as a result of what happened there is a generational spike in in, in learning e-business we all have a parents or like an elder relative that always ask you to, you know, fix their computer, show them something on an iPhone or show them how to do operate, operate, operate one thing or another online. And you know that what just has happened because of the lockdown, they're all had a, like an indoctrination into technology rather quickly. So, and this is another um, great benefit of what just we, what took place. Um, a lot of people think they see that prices Overall, the commodity prices has dropped, and they think it's because of the lack of uh, demand. I don't think so. I actually think that the demand still the same, if not even spiked in certain cases. What happened for those price drops is everyone is doing their business online, and as a result, there is a price com competitiveness. They can actually compare and shop um, prices much easier and much more sophisticated. And as a result, the overall prices of everything, insurance, for example, or even um, uh, loans, banking, or commodity items, just as a result, dropped because of the competitions. So being online, isolating from isolating our homes, had made us, uh, had literally created a competition for the market. And of course, everything became digital uh, at this point. Now the productivities, and this is something that's very interesting and it goes back to uh, my previous slide about this meeting that was 100% attended. We've seen a spike in productivity from, from teams that are operating from home in a distributed fashion. And I think many of this is due to the fact that if you look at um, um, the average day people, do a lot of uh, emailing, they commute, they, um, they talk to their coworkers, the, the water cooler conversations, they run for coffee, bio breaks, lunches, and, uh, or, or even other things that we usually do at work, like plan for dinner, um, uh, travel, vacations, or even business travel that consumes a lot of time. All of this was just put on hold, and all of a sudden you're at home pretty much given your entire day for pure productive work. And as a result, we've seen literally a double in production throughput. Also what we've seen, and we're gonna talk about it later in this, um, um, in this webinar, is the accelerated digital transformation. So, you know, in the past, um, distributed, distributed team were not accepted by everybody. There is um, the work from home was frowned upon by many. And all of a sudden, everybody had to be able to work distributedly either from their home and the infrastructures of technology at home has been upgraded all around the world um, and people ability to actually be stay connected and leverage uh, technology and supply chain and, and business operations had quadrupled. The last one that I want to talk about in the gold rush here is telecommunications. And I understand that this has been around, like Zoom and Skype and video conferencing has been around for almost 20 years. But why is it that we're utilizing it now and we didn't utilize it at our workplace, even contact with other people? It was underutilized until we were forced to literally use it to its maximum capacity. And that is not going to go away. We're going to take that 
with us to the next stage. There are also hidden gems, aside from the obvious benefits. This is a graph, and by the way, this is data for the United States. So I apologize again if, um, if you're not in this, uh, located uh, within the country at this point, but it's very good representations of global workforce as well. So this is uh, an actual work day of eight hours. Usually the actual work time by an average employee of that eight hours is about five hours and 23 minutes. Um, well, five hours point two to three, so a little bit less than 23 minutes of work. And again, the rest is get in there, open your laptops, firing whatever application that you need to do your work, um, coffee breaks, uh, distracted by meeting, etc. So the actual efficiency of the work is about five and a half hours. Every time that you add one task, so if you're in one task for the whole entire day, if you're assigned to one project for the whole entire day, that project will take the five and a half hours. If you are assigned to two projects, to switch from one project to another and back, it takes about an hour of waste. So if you're assigned to two projects, both projects will share four and a half hours. If you're assigned to three projects, the three projects will share three and a half hours. So as you see that the diminished return, that's why to be focused on one single task per day is kind of essential for productivity. So this is a published number um, until two months ago. Here's a new number. Uh, with the lockdown, work time went from five and a half hours to almost nine hours, more than eight, more than the actual eight hours work days. And the, the, the one hour losses every time you increase the tasks have decreased uh, 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 drastically. And this is basically because people are, first they're yearning to work and yearning to connect with, uh, with the outside of the world and uh, with the outside world, and they're less distracted with other items. So they're just giving it their best. Also, there's this guilt feeling when you're working from home and you want to prove that you are working uh, very hard and very efficient. And that had literally contributed to the amount of productivity. So you can see that from five and a half, we went to a nine, almost doubled the productivity side. And that was one of the gifts of the lockdown. You can see in different areas, and by the way, the examples are endless. And I have to mention the fact that this, is, this data is still young. So it is based of, uh, we, we triangulate a few sources and our own um, value stream in our own company as well, but they're not mass data because they're, we're still in the lockdown, we're still operating under this, and there, is, there isn't a data that is uh, cohesive enough to be available, but I know that they will be soon. From an operation perspective, you organization, I, and, and I understand that there is major layoffs that happened, etc. but they did really shed a lot of dead weight. There was a lot of fat that they had to operate in a very, very lean productivity measure, and as a result, they were questioning pretty much every role and every responsibility, and they, they had to literally shed a lot of um, a lot of weight that obviously they did not need because they continue to be operating. There is about forty percent uptake in, in in hourly productivity. There is an acceptance of going digital quickly and the acceptance of the remote uh, workforce and the distributed team that has never had that uh, was never been at that level before. Here's one that was actually very enlightening. You would think that should be an uptake in, in email usage, but there were decreasing email usage. People are reaching out by phone and through other digital media a lot more than they used to do. It's funny because people used to email the person sitting right next to them at work, even though they can just shout the questions or the comment. And, um, and, and, and now, they're, instead of doing that, they're actually reaching out in person. The, the social distancing had produced undistancing. 
the exact opposite effect. People are yearning for interaction, and as a result, they're spending more time working on their face-to-face -face and one-on-one -on -one dynamics with their team members than before. A lot of introverts used to be avoidant of the workplace and want to be left alone. Right now, they're reaching out to get that face-to-face -face time. Um, the collaboration and communication um, is, it, it is kind of unparalleled right now because people are in need of bridging those gaps of distances. And as a result, they're doubling down on the amount of time that they talk and they communicate and they collaborate. And they're staying away from things that are passive communication, such as email, et cetera. Like I said, overall for meeting attendances, they went from 70% to over 90%, which is amazing given the fact that we're attending from home and the need to connect. I do find myself, um, it used to be when you call someone on the, on the phone or if, if you're in a meeting with someone over Skype, et cetera, prior to the lockdown, you can't wait to get off the meetings or you can't wait to get off the phone. I'm finding myself more and more having to hang up the phone first because people do not want to get off the phone. And this is again, um, as, a, as, as a product of yearning for the one-on-one -on -one connection that we have with other people that are now distanced from us. And that is in a way for collaboration and communication, which is a major weapon of productivities, it's an invaluable trace. And I think that we will take that with us to the next step as well. There's one other thing, which is the rise of real influence. It used to be the YouTubers, but right now people are yearning to an actual intellectual that can give them guidance on what's happening. Um, this is also a product of um, some failure from, from certain governmental administrations to, to, um, to, to be the guideline and be the go-to um, uh, benefactor of delivering the correct information. And as a result, people are looking for those who are really a guru um, and looking for substance over just content. So that's another hidden gem of the uh, benefits of the lockdown. Um, and the one major one is this is the quick injection of globalization. We've been talking about globalization for almost 30 years now. Um, and it's almost like we were waiting for something like this to happen to literally experience true globalization. I talked to my, um, my former colleagues all over the world. We've never had the same shared experience globally. Yes, we might have the same you know, fast food chains, but we've never had the same shared experience. We are going, you know, my, my, my friends in, in, in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, you call them and they're going through the same exact thing that I'm, I'm going through here in San Francisco. And this is the first time that ever happened in history of humankind. So that quick injection of a true globalization that also will stay with us for much, much longer. Before I talk, uh, get to the last section of this, which is post COVID, what's the afterlife of this epidemic? I would like to stop to see if anyone has any questions or comments. Yes, there is actually two questions, uh, but the two questions are related to each other. Uh, if many companies like Facebook saying that they are letting all new hires and most current employees the option to permanently work from home, how do you see that type of benefit for Avenue coders is if uh, we move into this, hopefully a post-COVID world? This came from Drew King and also from Lanco. So there, there's multi-layer to this. Um, I think that it will take a little bit of time for people to be completely comfortable going back to work, uh, but it will happen. I mean, we went through the SARS and no one talks about the SARS anymore. And it was just really, maybe not as deadly, but it was just as, as, as powerful of a virus. 
And so it will, it will take time for people to get back to work. But I do believe that teams cannot work without inspiring one another. And that requires some sort of a physical interaction. So even though that this desperate time and measure had called for purely just stay home and work from there indefinitely, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. We're going to get back to working together again. And I think that there is an element of working together that is missed. And probably some of the benefits that I highlighted are as a result of that. Um, and, I, and I think people cannot, you cannot replace that 100% digitally, which is the, inspi the inspirational fa fact and the, um, the, the, the shared conscience that we experience when we're together. And I don't think that that's going to go away. Um, I am not going to comment about Facebook and Google's decision um, because some of it is literally for publicities and, and others is probably out of um, legal needs. And I think that... Um, it's an indicative of what we will probably be doing at Avenue Code for as long as we can to protect the safety of our people. Uh, but I don't think that's going to be indefinitely a long-term approach. No more questions for now. Thank you. And let's talk about the afterlife. We have, so I, you, you, probably, you probably have seen the survey. And we've done the survey uh, for only 50 people. And I apologize for the small number. But it, again, the data is pretty limited until this point. And basically, we asked CIOs and CEOs, CTOs, um, what was the impact of the global lockdown on your technology delivery throughput? So the amount of technology being delivered with the amount of people that are delivered by. And uh, they had to answer whether uh, if their teams were agile or waterfall, or if they have half of the teams agile and half of them waterfall, and they had to answer for both. And I want you to take time and kind of think of your answer. I don't think that uh, I'm equipped to publish the survey from this particular webinar. We'll probably publish it later, but I will review the, the outcome of our yes. survey prior to the webinar. We have lunch to you, so you have about uh, one minute to respond. So within this one minute, I will show you what uh, I don't want. To, I don't want that to uh, influence your, uh, your survey, but we'll just share it. Um, so for agile teams, 44 out of the 50 said it was smooth sailing they were not impacted um three said someone impacted and three said they are heavily impacted for the waterfall 39 was heavily impacted and some what impacted was a small group of people and there was no um, smooth sailing and this was not surprising at all by the way because the whole idea of agile is distributed team that can communicate and collaborate on timely manner regardless of where they are in the world and it couldn't have been more suited for the lockdown Obviously, we're talking about technology and they are in advantage uh, as a sector because they can work remotely. Um, so this would probably be um, quite different if we talked about any other sector. So the results so, are here. Do you want to see, Zoo? Uh, sure. Well, let me can you read them out? Can you read, them? Can you read them out? Can you read them out loud? Yes. So 46% said, uh, I have had a smooth ceiling. 46% also, so really divided, my company was somehow, somewhat impacted and only 8% my company was heavily impacted. Okay. I mean, somewhat impacted is completely understandable uh, since we didn't separate, but obviously the technology teams in general had, had um, leaned towards smooth sailing rather than heavily impacted, which is really refreshing to know which I call the revenge of the nerds. Um, the lockdown had little to no impact on agile teams. Leadership rushed to look at distributed agile teams model as a savior. Um, for the first time, 
even groups outside of technology had looked at models where technology have been employing to be able to adapt their own teams to working remotely. So again, hooray for the nerds. In order to talk about the afterlife, I'm going to talk about how Avenue Code journey was with digital transformation. So this next few slides is about digital transformation and the impact of the lockdown on digital transformation. This is a technology webinar to begin with, so that's why we're ending with this. In the past, we started in 2008, and um, really we were involved with some of the most complicated digital transformation to date. And the global digital transformation sectors had mimicked our global journey with digital transformation, so they're kind of intertwined. So since 2008, if you remember, that was the collapse of the uh, financial um, sector. And a lot of people ran around um, looking for ways to cut costs, and obviously technology was the way to go, to automate and uh, everything and to build technologies that can save the, the manual sector was, was the best way to save costs. So as a result, a lot of heavy investments, particularly in e-commerce at the US that went into digital transformation back at that time for the between 2008 and 2013. That's due to many things. One is basically the existence of um, the, the, the softness in the, in, the, in the brick and mortar model. So people were not going to stores as much and they're shopping online. And this mammoth thing called Amazon that all of these big names, they would wake up in the morning and they see that Amazon has implemented something very innovative and they had to match to it. So they doubled their spend on technology and as a result, they had to go digital. And that was the start of the digital transformation in general. What followed is the Europe and LATAM with e-commerce. So e-commerce kind of led the digital transformation within the, next, within the first five years or so. And then Europe and LATAM e-commerce followed. And then the US, other sectors had followed. The FinTech came out of its slumber after uh, being devastated in 2008 and started heavily investing in, um, in technology as well. And then in insurance and telecommunications. In the last couple of years, the late adapters, which is literally the low-tech companies. So automotive industry, you've seen the, the uprising of Tesla, you've seen Fiat car configurators, you've seen Volvo, etc. Obviously, the, uh, the self-driven um, features, etc. And then heavy industrial manufacturing, waste management, things that you could never really imagine, but they have literally found out that the, in order to compete in a market in an open marketplace, they have to automate their business processes. So that was the late adapter in digital transformation. If you see the timeline, it really mimics how long a digital transformation used to take. Between 2008 and 2013, a digital, trans digital transformation for a major uh, company would have taken two to five years. And that's the example that we've lived. Uh, then it shortened a little bit to two to three years, still significant after that. And the reason it got shortened, easy. They basically um, had to had the benefit of the findings of the uh, early adapters, and also technology had improved. Um, the underlying technology for DevOps, for, uh, for cloud computing, had improved to the point that made it much easier for them to utilize that into their digital transformation. And then latest, same trend, the acceptance in general um, of different business groups and the new technology that enabled them to do it, the time to go digital became one to two years. I do have to say that one of the major factors of this length, aside from technology, is buy-in. Um, in order to go to, to convince an entire enterprise to go digital, it usually starts with a technology group 
but without business and other sectors accepting the digital transformation, it usually kind of uh, screech into a halt. And the acceptance used to be you just keep knocking on their door until they listen to you and uh, until they give you an end to their, their middle management and until they influence a change. Um, and that took years in some cases. Uh, and, and the acceptance from business units have improved over the last 12 years or so. That right now it's much easier to get to get a buy-in all across than it used to be. Then came 2020. We stayed home overnight. We probably had at best one to two weeks advance notice that we have to be able to continue working as a distributed team. Um, and companies were faced with a challenge: either play or die. So can you go digital within one to two weeks? Obviously continuing going digital as people uh, stayed at home and continue to work. And, um, and they did it. The interesting part, I'm sure many of you are working from home right now very efficiently with teams that are working very efficiently and the throughput is not the same as probably double. And that is because of the fact that we were, uh, there was enough pressure to perform and go digital in such a short period of time. So why did it take one to two years and two to five years in the past? If we could have done it in eight weeks, like we did in the last couple of months, and the questions it answers itself. It's us. We just were weren't open to change um, that well, and we didn't want to. Um, we didn't want to change the way that we do things, and we had a lot of aversion to change, not to the ideas, but to actually a change itself. And we were able to accept it because it was mandated and enforced, and that we had no other um, choice. So this will set the way forward if you think about it um from now on we know like every time that someone would, would tell you like well it takes a couple of years to to go digital we know that it doesn't take that much we know that we were able to do it to some success in much much less time and we've learned a lot doing that and as a result the way forward you will see that the need to go digital and the need to utilize technology will that the demand will increase significantly but not only will it will it will have it, it, it will the demand of fast digital transformation would increase as well. No one would be listening to the one to two years timeline anymore if they're smart, of course. Um, so let's talk about what is an accelerated digital transformation would look like, which I call it digital on the go. We used to um, to go digital, and that's why it took so many years. We look for the low hanging fruits projects that are suited. To, to have iterative delivery and, um, and, and uh, minimum viable products and, and um, easy to prioritize with the business. Um, now it's actually, so we call that the low hanging fruit. Right now we were faced with do or die. From two to five years, it's now taken literally up to like two to four weeks to go digital. Um, we always started with technology, then we expanded to the business units. Um, in the last couple of months, the business looked at technology to save them. So the business led the transformations faster than technology, which is a big mind shift in the way that we do digital transformation. Um, we used to have to get a collective buy-in, which took years. And now it's like it, the democracy was thrown out of the way and it was demanded by everybody in the organization and everybody um, transparently have accepted it because they knew that this is the way to go. Um, we used to analyze the, the, the uh, enterprise design, negotiate across units, um, then procure and install, 
Right now, we just skip to Procure and install. And you see that a lot of people have implemented cloud solutions, uh, infrastructures, um, uh, 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 virtual communications, literally within a week, um, which things that used to take months, if not years. Um, we used to think of one team at the time in digital transformation. Now we just think, we, we, we now are able to think entire enterprise all at once. We used to have the need to convince finance of how to fund the digital transformation and what is the value of it. Now finance is driving the digital transformation. They're pushing for it and basically they're, they're very open for the new ideas and whatever it will cost. So there's a major shift that came as a result of the lockdown within digital transformation. So how is it? So I'm, I'm saying that this is what we're going to uh, do it moving forward. I will tell you how we do it. And I think that you will see that it's kind of a no-brainer and obviously you're invited to do it the same way. So we've created what we call the Coach by Emergence. Um, and in, a, in a previous time, so a Coach by Emergence is uh, previously, uh, the way that we do digital transformation is we assess the technology needed, the underlying technology needed, and we get an agile coach and or coaches, team of coaches, and then basically we change the process starting with technology and expand into the business upstream where ideas come from. Now, that model, the reason that model often failed, and I'll have to share that with you, is because the agile coach only sees the process overall. Uh, he or she cannot, and they're, they're very bright people, and they do great at what they do, which is the entire process for the enterprise. They do not understand, or they're not expected to actually know how to write code uh, whether in whatever language within digital agile configurations. You do not understand how the business should be thinking about features, um, iterative delivery of high, high value features. You do not know how to do DevOps or, <clears throat> or how to do an automated QA. Um, so they're, they're very limited in what they know within every single role and responsibility required across the organizations. So Coach by Emergence are basically role-specific coaches, not just Agile coaches, um, that understand how to do it within an Agile configurations. So they are distributed among the entire organization, not just technology, even in the business, even in finance, even in HR, even in legal in some cases. And basically they sit with the team of the organization and all they do it the way that it would be done within the digital Agile concepts. and. They seed that knowledge throughout the team until the team emerges as a thought leader within Agile. And that's what they're called Coach by Emergence. So they are embedded in Agile dev teams, product management teams, DevOps resources. They actually, some of them do build the tech stack. They are embedded in HR and finance, and they do build the cloud solutions. They are deployed all at once throughout the whole entire organization for it to transition. So here's what it looks like as a map. We deploy Coach by Emergence, and again, this is, this is a blueprint, it's a very high level, and I know it can be challenged, but this is, uh, actually works. So we deploy Coach by Emergence in, throughout the, the, the delivery teams. So there are developers, there are QEs, there are UI, UX, or whatever the delivery team composes of. Coach by Emergence as Scrum Masters, as product managers, please do not confuse that with product owner. Product owner is one discipline out of many within product management group, even they are deployed to the stakeholders themselves, where 
business have ideas where the ideation process happens. In some cases, coach by emergence are embedded within the executive teams as well. So they can understand how to think in iterative delivery fashion. Then they literally play out two to four sprints, two to four two-week sprints, so about two months, doing it exactly with the teams that are doing everything. So they're writing stories, they're doing the ceremonies of Agile, they're doing the showcase, the demos, they're prioritizing everything that is done. They're doing it with, with the teams that are, that are implementing and executing those features. They're also building, uh, they're build, they, they, they compose the DevOps team, they build the cloud and the pipelines, uh, they build the environments that will consume the outcome of those four sprints. They also are embedded in the hands-off and the release planning, um, the training for the consumer of those new features. And also they are embedded within measurements of these features once they're out uh, and generating revenue. And the measurements, not just to point fingers, but also to learn from what we've done and circle it back into upstream to where the stakeholders, where ideas come from. In addition, they're also embedded in human resources. The transformation usually requires much lower, uh, flatter organization, different roles and responsibilities. And a lot of people have a, hundred, have a really hard time understanding the change. What do you mean I don't have 200 people reporting into me and the hierarchy of seven or eight different layers? So human resources are very uh, instrumental in working on that attitude. Finance. Finance have to start thinking of finance not just as a balance sheet, but there's qualitative and quantitative measure of value and finance. They're also embedded in finance. Like you see all these purple looking figures, they're basically a team of coach by emergence in every single discipline that are, that are deployed throughout the organizations and transition them all at once. And literally, if you have the right discipline and the right layout, this can take as little as eight weeks to put the blueprint for a perfect digital transformation and it gets you where there are value rather quickly. And of course, like anything else, there'll be continuous improvement moving further. With that, that is actually our time. So we have nine more minutes for questions. Yes, Eo, we have uh, three questions. One is uh, from, and I'm sorry if I don't pronounce it right, uh, Ahmed Safat. And the question yep. is, the energy level of working at home surge at the beginning, but it seems that it is starting to drop by time. How to maintain the team energy level and keep the level of productivity? Thank you, Matt, for this question. I do have to say, and this, this kind of ties into my other answer for the last questions. I don't think that this is sustainable. I think that we do have to, at one point, and again, this inspirational and brainstorming sessions and whiteboarding and these things that we need to be together to, um, to influence each other's way of thinking and rise as a team um, is missing. And I understand that the longer we stay home, this will be further defined. So thank you for pointing it out. I, uh, I don't have an answer to this. I, uh, I think that um, we, at one point, we, need to, we, we still need to actually um, get out and, and meet each other um, again. So um, I can totally see that there is a lot of cabin fever, and I'm sure that that will have a negative impact on the initial findings, and, and I'm looking forward to study that further. But thank you for the question. It's a good point. Okay, another question from Mario Matos. Zio, what do you think about the future of learning for those nerds, I am including myself, it will be everything remote or partially remote and partially face-to-face -face combined and it will be a lifelong learning 
Thank you for this question. It's, we're hovering about the same topic. I'm very interesting. Uh, I, I think it's going to be partially remote and partially face-to-face. -face. I don't think that you can ever replace the face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, we won't be a social subjects if that happens. Um, I, I do have to say that we have morphed into a global uh, economy that complete, in complete harmony and acceptance of distributed teams. So distributed team doesn't mean everybody's at home. Distributed teams just can be globally distributed, but some teams are co-located together. So there was a global acceptance for distribu distributed teams and remote work. And I think that will last. Um, but that, then making that the norm, I don't think so. I think we, we still need to be co-located and have the human physical interaction. Thank you, Zio. The next question is also about remote work, uh, but it's from Antonio Porto from Cargill. Uh, in your opinion, do you think we are going to watch the businesses reducing their administrative facility space in pro mm -hmm. of remote working? What kind of impact do you foresee if it happens? I mean, for the business yeah. and employees. Yeah, that is such a good point. I, in my personal opinion, and don't, don't go invest on what I'm about, about to say, but I think that the commercial real estate will take a major dive as a result of what took place. Absolutely. Um, the balance sheet of expense accounts, and I can speak to my company to begin with, but I know it's global. It had dropped significantly. Imagine the lack of travel expense, the time saved by travel, um, the lack of commuting expenses and the time saved by that, and the lack of entertainment, you know, taking people out to dinner and celebrating this and that. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it just happened. It was forced on us. Completely shown CFOs are smiling ear to ear right now, seeing that this number is dropping. And I think that you will see that a lot of organizations will probably want to double down on that, um, including office space. Absolutely. If you can decrease the size of your office space, which is a very major expense, uh, if you can decrease it by allowing people to work uh, remotely since it was successful, I think that will happen. And as a result, you'll see a major uh, dive in commercial office um, commercial um, uh, office uh, costs and uh, and value. So yes, that is definitely. I don't think of a CFO that will not want to capitalize on that. Um, so that yes, I, I I think in my opinion that you will see significant increase in work from home to save money from companies. Great. Uh, we have two more questions here. One of the biggest challenges we might see on the afterlife we talk about is regarding the labor loss, even more in Latin America countries. For example, yeah. what will happen if an employee has an accident at home at a working time? What are the thoughts about this scenario? Do you think we will need a bigger transformation starting from the government authorities as well? That's a very good question. I have to tell you that... Um... I mean, this particular example that the question just came about, um, employees covered regardless of where they work today, before COVID. So I don't think that that particular example is not valid because I think if something happened to an employee that is working from home during the time that they're working at home, the company is still liable. But in general, the larger question is um, the compliance and the new legal rules and laws that will govern us moving forward absolutely there will be a plethora of new regulations to govern what's going on now also there are going to be some sort of a um, like a reaction to 
to jobs that are pretty much probably disappeared as a result of this um, epidemic. In the city of San Francisco, there's about 45,000 restaurants. Now there is about 5,000 of them that are still open for delivery. And many economists don't think that they're going to come back. So what's going to happen to these people, this workforce? I mean, they're not, they're not just going to generate um, and I know income segments composed of millions of people. And I know that it's the same all over the world. So there have got, got to be some sort of a reaction to that. And, um, and I, again, the data is very young and I can't wait to study it, but there's going to be a major government interventions in the way that we regulate this entire workflow. Thank you, Zio. Next question. Uh, so the last question. Uh, during this pandemic period, is it a good window of time to start changing technology for legacy systems without impact? Absolutely. I mean, this is a perfect time. And I think a lot of very, very smart companies are doing that already. So they are taking this time to, to re-platform to, because there, it's driven by an, by, an, by an imminent need for people to work remotely, updated the infrastructures, investing in security to allow people to work remotely regardless of where they are. You know, there's security about working from within the country and outside of the country. And even that, they're working around it. Most of our clients are already doing that. Um, many of them that never accepted remote work were able to rework their systems to, to accommodate remote work within a week. So, yes, everybody is doing that. And this is the thing that everybody should do. I mean, um, forget technologies. Cities are investing in infrastructure because of the fact that not so many people drive in now, driving cars right now. So, I mean, obviously, at any given space, if you can find that time that you can double down in some sort of a infrastructure injection, to upgrade, infrastructure upgrades, absolutely, they should do it. That's you. No more questions. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Uh, it's easier to be talking for an hour than listening for an hour, so I appreciate you all. Have a great day. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>